You are listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I'm Francine Belay, your host, and I'm super thrilled to bring you stories inspiration and strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money and lead a movement to change the world. I am a digital communication and brand strategist, business advisor, award-winning author and a speaker. I am on a mission to help professional executives and entrepreneurs to become leading voices in their field by finding what makes them unique and creating compassion Bearing messages to the right audience. Are you struggling to find out why your message doesn't get the engagement you expect from your audience and customers whilst your competition seems to do very well? Well, apply for a complimentary assessment of your website to find out. I will personally review your website and show you what is confusing your prospect and the easy step to take to clarify your message. To claim this time-limited offer, go to francinebelay.com slash review, that's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash review. So today we have on the show an exceptional woman, Roma Agrawal. She is a chartered structural engineer who works with signature architects designing footbridge, towers, and sculptures, including six years as senior structural engineer on the Shard in London, the tallest tower in Western Europe. She's also a multiple award winner, both for her technical prowess and her contribution to raising awareness of engineering as a career. She actively promotes engineering, scientific and technical careers to young people and particularly to underrepresented groups. Hi Roma, welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on the show. You are our first structural engineer on the show. So I'm <laughs> sure other people are going to inspire about what you're doing. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> so tell me, uh, in your own words, what you currently do and what your job entails. Great. Yeah. So um, being a structural engineer is, uh, you know, it's a really fun job. I think what we love about it most is that we get to create something that's real and that contributes to your city or your town or whatever it might be. So in really simple terms, um, it's my job to use maths and physics, you know, technical skills to make sure that buildings and bridges stand up. And along the way, we use a lot of creativity. We're working with people all the time. It's always, you know, a fun, exciting, very, very rewarding career. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you're going to, uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. So how did you become one of these top female structural engineering working on the Shard? Tell me this. <laughs> so I think my role on the Shard was actually a bit of luck because I had only graduated from my degree in 2005. I'd worked on one project and actually it was really my boss who had been assigned to work on the Shard. And one day he came up to me and he said, well, would you like your second project to be the Shard? And I, you know, I was very cool. I said, yeah, yeah, that, that would be okay. While I was internally kind of screaming with excitement. So I really started on, my, um, on the Shard very, very early in my career. And I was part of quite a small team. So we were seven or eight engineers on the project. But because I guess I spent so long on the project, you know, it was about six, six over a period of about six years, um, I grew with the project. So my career was kind of progressing as as the tower got taller and taller. So by the time we had quite a small team left, um, I was you know, able to be one of the more senior engineers. So it, it was really kind of, as the building grew, my career grew, and uh, it, it, it was a bit of like my baby in that sense. Yeah, how long it took in total working uh, on the shard? 
Oh, that's a complicated question because that building's been, you know, in, in the works for so long. But I, I was working on it from about 2006 to 2012, which was when the bulk of the design and the construction happened. Yeah, okay. So, and what exactly do you design? Can you tell us what actually, you know, just to give us a bit of a glimpse of what actually it looked like when you get on morning in the shower? What do you do? So when you look at your buildings or bridges, there are some different forces that act on these things. So you have gravity, which is obviously trying to pull your structure downwards. And then you have wind, which is trying to push your structure sideways. So those are the two basic things that we look at. So what we are doing is as the architects kind of come up with the vision of what a building might look like, how it sits in its landscape, how many people are going to use it, how it's going to be used, all of these type of things. The structural engineers are thinking about materials. What's the right material for this project? How do we make sure that the skeleton of the building that's actually going to hold it up is going to be strong enough? You know, how are the wind and gravity going to affect this? So nowadays we use a lot of technology. Um, we use computer modeling, we do most things in 3D, and we basically um, create the skeleton, we apply these forces virtually, we simulate, and then we look at, well, how much force is going in this column, is it strong enough, and what material should it be made out of? So, so we're constantly iterating uh, within our own profession, our own discipline, but then also we have to think about, well, the mechanical engineers need air conditioning plants, and they need ducts for their air, and the electrical engineers need holes in the beams to pass the cables through, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of coordination between lots of different types of engineers and designers to actually put up a structure. Wow. And then when you do that, so you work in a team, in a small team, so how, how do you coordinate the whole work, actually? How people, you know, it's fascinating to know a bit how, how does that work. So you, 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 you do your 3D modeling and, you know, you know how much force, you know, have to go here and there. And then what? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we spend a lot of time in meetings and actually in workshops <laughs> talking to people. And that's one thing I didn't appreciate when I was studying engineering. I didn't realize how much time I'm going to spend communicating with other people. And that's a really, really important part of our job. So I think what happens is there are hundreds of different people working on a project. We all have some different aspirations or priorities for the project. So some people are trying to control cost. Some people want it to look amazing. Some people are trying to keep it standing. Some people are saying, how are we going to transport people up and down this building? Um, so we sometimes come from, it feels like conflicting places. Yeah. But actually, at the end of the day, all of us want the project to be built and to be a success. So I think we have that common goal in mind. And so, yes, we have discussions, sometimes heated discussions, sometimes very productive discussions. But I think like all design um, it requires to and fro lots of lots of communication um, and spending time together till we till we find a great solution. Wow! Yeah, I get uh, you know better understanding now. That seems really fascinating to have all these conflicting or similar you know um, you know apparently conflicting goals, but mm. working toward the same vision. Actually, that's exactly. wow. Right. So how have you then decided to embark on this career? Um, I only decided when I was actually partway through my undergraduate degree. So I always loved maths and physics. I knew I wanted to do something scientific, but I didn't really understand what a career in engineering actually looked like or what it would be like for me. So I studied physics at university and I just happened to be working, you know, in a job over one summer trying to earn a bit of money and I was doing a really dull, boring job, to be honest, but I was sitting in an office with engineers. And what I realized from watching them work over that three, four month period was that they are using the maths and the physics, which I loved, and then creating some object or some practical item that you can, you know, that's, that's tangible, that you can feel and touch and that does something. And I loved that idea. I loved the idea of using all this kind of maths and physics to make stuff. So one of the wonderful things was because I had a degree in physics, I could have done any form of engineering, 
But I think I picked structural engineering because I had this fascination with architecture, um, even when I was younger. And I thought, wow, this, this kind of structural engineering is between physics and architecture in a sense. So it made, um, it kind of made sense in the end for me to pursue that route. That's what I did. Yeah. So, and um, at the moment, what do you like the most about your job and what do you like the least? <laughs> bring you more joy and what's bring you less joy? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the enjoyment, I think for me, is the mix of different types of projects I can work on and the fact that it is very interactive because I think I'm not one of these people who likes working on my own or being alone all the time. I think the best creativity comes out when people are together and discussing ideas. So I think that's probably one of the best parts of being an engineer. Um, the, my least favorite, that, that's a tricky one in a sense. I think I would say there's a frustration when sometimes you've been working on a project for a long time and things completely out of your control can stall that project. So it might be that the project runs out of funding or that you struggle with planning applications or, you know, um, the, the owners decide that they no longer want to pursue this project. And so it, it does sometimes happen that you've spent weeks or months on designing something which will never get built. And, and that's always a bit of a shame. Yeah. Wow. Yes, I suppose so. Uh, does it happen a lot or is always like, um, you know, exceptional to, for this to happen? It's, it really depends. You know, I think um, it, it depends on what the project is, where it is, what the economic climate is, how large the project might be, how small it might be, where the money is coming from. So there's, there's a lot of different aspects that come into that. I've been very lucky. I think all the different stuff that I've designed has eventually gotten built. In some cases, it took a long time, but they got built. Um, I've even had one of the little structures I designed be demolished. So <laughs> they built it, and then the whole configuration of the station changed, and then they had to actually remove the structure that I built. And I thought that that must be a milestone in most engineers' careers where something they've designed is, is actually now gone. So <laughs> it's yeah. like it's another feather <laughs> in the cap. Yeah. After having built this big, tallest uh, building as the shard, do you have any wildest dream of what you'd like to build? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what will be your, your, your really, you know, dream project that you might want to, to have? You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, I, after the Shard, I went on to work on much smaller projects because I wanted to um, take more responsibility on a smaller project and deliver them. And most of my projects have been in London. And I think what I, I actually really enjoy quite complicated basements. And I, I know that sounds a bit funny, but in London, every time you go down into the ground, there's all this kind of stuff you find. There's our tube tunnels. There's a 150-year-old drainage system. Um, there's all kinds of stuff down there. So when you're trying to build a basement, it's actually quite a complicated thing to do. So I had a lot of fun actually working on these smaller projects with quite deep basements. Wow. Um, but now I've actually, in the last year or so, moved a bit away from that immediate engineering project. And I'm now working more at the front end of a project. So I'm looking at how the public sector um, buys projects, how can we contribute more to the community when we're building stuff, um, how can we win projects, and so it's more of a managerial role in some ways, but if you think about it, you, you know, projects just don't appear at an engineer's desk, they have to be understood and they have to be tendered and won and with a fee proposal and contracts, so I've just shifted to a different phase of a project, which is kind of yeah. Good. And you enjoy that managerial side as well? I do. And I, th I think that's an important thing to say that you can train as an engineer, you can work as an engineer for a number of years in, in that very technical sense. But there are different, you know, paths you can take within that. And I can see myself now branching a slightly different type of role. Mm, that's wonderful. So, um, so what actually, um, tell me about the Roma, Roma the Engineer project, that where you focus on engineering engagement, that includes inspiring young people. 
So that happened very organically. It's not something I ever planned to do. I never really, you know, created a brand for myself or, you know, I never, I never really thought about any of this stuff. What happened was because, of course, I was working on the Shard and, you know, me and my other team members were being invited all over the country and sometimes abroad to talk about our work. And most of the presentations we did were to other engineers. But I think because I was slightly different and slightly unusual in that I'm, I'm a woman, I'm, I'm a person of color, I was quite young on my team, um, I started getting invitations to schools and to universities and to women's groups, which was a little bit different. And it was really only at that stage in my career, so this is about six, seven years into my career, that I realized, oh gosh, I think I actually have a bit of a voice here. And maybe through this type of communication, I can try and inspire more young people to consider our profession and hopefully you know, make some change. Because as I'm sure you can imagine, um, it's, it's a very you know, the demographics of people that come into the profession is not very diverse. So we have about 11% of engineers in the UK are women. Mm-hmm. And in construction, it, it's about that much. And when it comes to people of color as well, um, although we seem to have a reasonable take up at university level, people from ethnic minority backgrounds are not pursuing engineering as a career. So there's this kind of drop off in interest somehow that happens between university and, um, and, and doing the career. So I just felt that maybe as a slightly unusual looking engineer that I could try and do something about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you say actually um, is important. And actually, one also of the things that you say is that, you know, when you live in a city that works really well and a country that really works well, uh, but you only hear about engineering when it goes wrong, right? So, engineering actually so do you think that is a problem of image so why do you think that those women who seem to kind of embrace that and they have the skills at the university level don't end up being in the um you know in the uh uh, field itself it it's a very complicated problem and i think if it was simple we would have solved it by now we lose people from all kinds of minority backgrounds uh, through all the stages at GCSE, at A-level, at university, or even apprenticeships. You know, there's very few women um, that do apprenticeships. And then I think, and, and, and it's a very complicated kind of reasoning to go into, I guess, in some ways. But image, I think, is absolutely a big part of that. So, you know, as you say, the, the only time I hear the word engineering in public life on the street is when I hear an announcement that, oh, because of engineering works, your train is delayed. And immediately you have this really negative connotation of of engineering. Um, Growing up in India, it was much more part of our everyday culture. And people, parents wanted their kids to become engineers. So I was always very aware of what engineering was. It wasn't a big surprise to me in some sense. So, you know, we do need to improve the image of engineering. And I think one of my missions is not necessarily for everyone that I speak to to go and study engineering because of course that that doesn't work either but just that people be interested by it you know so that they have some a bit of literacy around science and engineering and they just look around their world and they keep that kind of childlike curiosity you know children are always saying how does this work why is this blue why you know how does this stand up and I, I want all of us to kind of keep that curiosity going for longer in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yes, I think that is really important. This distinction, you know, um, you know, we know that we are all trying to encourage women to get involved or understanding actually the STEM, STEAM, or STEMs uh, kind of subjects. <laughs> So, uh, but again, it's important that, you know, people know what are the options, what actually, uh, you know, you can do with those uh, different degrees. Because mm-hmm. some people's perception of what a degree can lead to might not be total, you know, they might only have only a slight um, image or, you know, uh, understanding of what, where that can lead to. And, you know, what you're doing, why I think that is so important 
it's showing people again, you know, that you can do fun things. Things are mm. not always boring. And, you know, not like me who only hear about this engineering works when nothing works. <laughs> so, but again, you know, you, you don't hear about that because it works. <laughs> So, uh, yes, I think that is really, really important, actually, um, to really give people awareness. My own feel like in digital, uh, really op open people up to understand what are the opportunities you have, to, you can see in digital. Don't mm. have to be a coder. You know, that's not the only option. You have tons of things that you can do in the digital uh, yeah, Okay, cool. So, uh, is that true then? That you know, you you know, you your husband won your heart by sending you <laughs> emails on a bridge in the day. Tell me about that. I I read that in the Guardian. What happened? Right. So I um so talking about my engagement work, one of the things I've done recently is to write a book, which is called Built: The Hidden Stories yeah. Behind Our Structures. Yep. And um, this book is aimed at non-engineers oh. and it's exactly to you know this, this, this to bring that curiosity that we were talking about so people think a little bit more about the city that they live in um, so yes i wrote a chapter about bridges uh, which is towards the end so you have to read the whole book to get to this story okay and, um, and i guess we've we've given away the spoiler um. so but no i i met this this man um, through some mutual friends and you know, we talked about what we do and so on. And he knew I was a structural engineer. And yeah, he sent me over the period of a week, every morning, he would send me an email, which was called Bridge of the Day. And there was some bridge that was included in this email. Um, it was interesting because of what it looked like, or it was an interesting country, or it had an interesting story behind it, or whatever it might be. And, and this carried on for a week. And I think it was, that was either after our first or second date, and then, you know, I agreed to go on another date with him. And then fast forward, gosh, nearly 14 years now, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been together ever since then. So he definitely, he's, he's also a bit of a nerd like I am. I think he spotted my um, nerdiness and thought that, oh, this might be a good way to win her over. <laughs> wow. What if it was somebody who has sent you a flower each day? Well, that will have worked. <laughs> I don't think that would have caught my attention in the same way, no. <laughs> Good, okay. So what's your favorite bridge then? Do you have any favorite bridge? bridge? Oh, that, is, um, that is such a tricky question. I'm, I'm going oh, yeah. um, to pick a bridge I've never seen, but I really want to go see it sometime. And that's called the Falkirk Wheel. And this is in Scotland. And it's part, it's a modern part of the old canal systems that were built about 150 to 200 years ago. And basically, there, there's, a, there's a part of the canal where there's almost, um, I think it's about a 20 meter change in level. You've got a high level canal, and suddenly the landscape is different, you know, there's mountains and whatever, and suddenly the canal is at a really low level. So normally you use locks. If you're familiar with locks, there are these like gates mm -hmm. and you have to open the gates, you have yeah. to change the yeah. water level and all this. Yeah, but we I have think those in Paris actually where you have like the gates opens and closed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and I think this particular lock had 11 different um, levels that you had to take your boat through. As you can imagine, it would take a very, very long time. So I think there was 44 maneuvers you had to do basically to get from one level to the next and what they did um, instead was to create this wheel so it almost looks like a ferris wheel and what happens is that you're on this bridge in your boat and then you sail into a gondola mm -hmm. on on like if you imagine the london eye like you know a ferris wheel you, you sail into like um a pod and then this entire wheel rotates and then it takes you down to the lower level um, or the or vice versa and then you can go off and sail on your way so it's reduced the time that you would need to, to basically get from high level to low level or the other way around like a few minutes yeah. and and i love that so that's what engineering is about it's creating a practical solution yeah. of a problem and i think the falkirk wheel is an amazing example of that oh which city in uh, uh, which part in scotland this uh, bridge is 
Um, I, I can't actually remember. Yeah. After you're just going to give me the spelling of the name, so I'm going to Google myself, so it seems fascinating. Yes, no, it's, it's brilliant, and I have written about that in my book. Oh, cool, okay, so I'll, uh, perhaps, uh, yes, I need to read your book, actually. <laughs> and at the end of the show, we'll also put that in the show notes, obviously, uh, right. for listeners, you know, some might be also having this newfound passion for bridges now, <laughs> like me. So, and tell me, what was the job you wanted to do when you were a kid? Did you always dream of becoming engineering? I mean, really, when you were really kids? Um, no, so I, I never dreamed of becoming an engineer. That was only much later in my life. I wanted to be an astronaut. Definitely. Uh, he's not too far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I loved space and I loved science. And I thought, oh, being an astronaut is so cool. And then at some point I realized I feel really sick, even in a car, yeah. to get on planes and anywhere else. And I thought maybe this isn't such a good idea. Um, and then I was interested in architecture when I was a young teenager, I would say. So those are the two kind of things that I remember wanting to be when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when actually did you realize who you are, actually, and what you're meant to do in life? If you did have already this realization <laughs> so i i actually don't know that i know that even now <laughs> i'm still trying to i love that um i i think what i know about myself is that i'm quite driven and i've got my passions and i'm not scared of working hard and and doing stuff and learning stuff so you know i i see myself as as an engineer who also loves communication and I think what's interesting for me is to find this balance between you know the the career the technical career in a sense and then engagement with the media and that's something if I'm honest I'm still working on and I think I've also realized that they both don't have to happen all at the same time one year might be more about my job one year might be a bit more about the media so it's still an ongoing process Yeah, so what did you actually struggle the most in life? Um, so I, I, there's a couple of things I can mention. One is, I think, the fact that I'm always on a treadmill. So I, I feel like if, if, I, if I think and reflect about the way I work and so on, I'm, I'm always go, 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 go. You know, let's do this, let's do that, let's work, let's, you know, get on with stuff. And I think... Sometimes I need to remind myself that I need to slow down, take a breath and see what it is I'm doing. So that's the kind of, I guess, big philosophical response to your question. Mm. And in terms of what's been the, the most difficult part of my life to date, I would say, you know, I've, I've had a very fortunate life. I've been very comfortable. I've had the best education, all these things. And actually getting pregnant was um, a big challenge for us. So we suffered from issues with infertility and um, I went through multiple rounds of IVF to get pregnant and that took a period of about three years. Mm-hmm. And this was um, a big calling point to me where, where I realized that I'm on the go all the time, but sometimes your body just needs you to, or forces you to take a step back. Um, and I am you know, really delighted to say that I'm, I'm about to have my baby in two weeks and I, I call it my engineered baby because <laughs> it wouldn't exist without all the science. Um, but yeah, I would say that in, in terms of what has um, been the most difficult kind of phase of my life, I would say the last three years in some ways have been very difficult. Mm, yeah, no, I think that is very, very important. And uh, I'm, you know, grateful that you, you know, are sharing this because Usually, you know, people who are driven and are on the go, 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 sometimes we just need to stop. And yeah. that pause, really. And I totally get what you're saying. Um, we need to take the pause and, you know, our body reminds us sometimes. Sometimes we don't listen to that until it's too late. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so that is really, really important. And I'm so glad that you, you are going to have a baby. <laughs> a baby. That's super. So tell me, we also are usually conditioned since our childhood to please others. I don't know if that has been your case. And we keep actually carry on actually being, you know, what we have been conditioned to be, or we rebel against that. Which spectrum would you say you fall into this? 
I think so. I've, my parents have always been very supportive and open about what we do, me and me, me and my sister. And the, I think the biggest message we got from them is you have to study hard. You have to do, you know, put your hours in, you have to work and the results will follow. So it wasn't about focusing, oh, how much did you get in this exam? But did you try hard enough? Did you actually do your best? So luckily in that sense, we weren't put any, there was no kind of expectation or pressure that we have to do, achieve a certain career or a certain goal, but just that we always had to work hard and do the best we could. So I've always placed high expectations on myself for you know, what I do. Um, and I think I, I was always, as a result, I did well in my exams. I was always seen as the class nerd, in a sense. <laughs> and I think when I was a young teenager, I did struggle a little bit with trying to be cool and smart and, you know, so that the other kids would like me. And so probably if, if I think about who did I try and please, it would probably be those high school kids um, back in India when I lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, which in retrospect, and, and I'm sure all teenagers go through this, um, and actually in retrospect, kind of 20 years later, it, it really doesn't matter <laughs> um, what they think of me or what I think of them, um, because we've all moved on in our lives and we've all done amazing things. And um, yeah, so I think, I think that's one thing that, I, you know, as, as a young teenager, and I'm sure a lot of, especially young girls, struggle with that as well. Yeah. So when you look back then at this childhood, how has it prepared you to be who you are today, would you say? I think the fact that I always felt a little bit on the, not on the sidelines, but a little bit different in some way. And that, that could have been because I was the kind of the class nerd at school. And, and, you know, I had a nice, I had a lovely, amazing group of friends. Um, but in terms of like the, the overall school, I, I was not one of the cool kids. So I think, and then I moved to this country, I moved to the UK when I was 16. And again, I'm quite different now. So I have an accent. I don't know this education system. I'm trying to catch up with all this stuff. Then I went on to do physics at university. And now suddenly I'm one of the few women, um, people of color in this course. And then you go to work and again, you find you're in a minority. I think I've, I, throughout my life, um, I've always been slightly different. And, and that has been a, a problem in some cases, but an amazing advantage in other cases as well. But I think because I've had that maybe since my childhood, um, it, it doesn't bother me. And actually, I see it as a way I make a change or to, to you know, eventually I try to use my voice to make a positive change from that yeah that's brilliant i think that is a great perspective actually you know since you know in your own country you are also quite different and here you're also different so you know it all comes to the same actually great so great perspective <laughs> <laughs> so actually what is one of the toughest moments you had in your life that actually ended up to be a blessing in disguise um, I would probably come back to the fertility treatment in some way. So I, you know, as I said, it was very difficult mentally because, first of all, I don't think, you know, we as, as women and definitely as men, we don't talk about fertility and issues around our bodies, you know, um, that much. And I'm really pleased to see that there is more and more conversation starting to happen now because not only is it physically difficult, it is of course mentally difficult as well, and it's a huge roller coaster in that sense. So, and I, and I think I've always had um, low confidence in my body. So I've had, you know, really nothing serious, but some longer term chronic type of issues I've been dealing with, like with migraines and so on. And I I therefore didn't have a lot of confidence in my body, but what this treatment showed me is actually that our bodies are very resilient, very strong. And it's given me a different confidence, I think, in, in my body's ability to withstand what's, what's quite an onerous treatment. Um, I, I can't make any comments about how this baby is coming out because we don't know that yet. Um, but 
I think it, it has given me a, a slightly different perspective and confidence um, in, in my own body, but also in the bodies of women. And I just sometimes sit back and think it is absolutely incredible how strong and resilient a woman's body is. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's really uh, powerful, actually. No, but I think, uh, you know, one you know one of the toughest moments, as you say, you know, sometimes when you look back, it's like some a revelation that we can, if we can only, you know, look at what is we are going through and we are going through very tough moments. Most, you know, uh, more than, uh, you know, more often than not, they actually are telling something bigger, you know, a mm. bigger story to us. And I think that, yes, if we can only pay attention to that when we are going through tough moments and really learn the lessons that we are going through, that is really, um, you know, going to make a difference in our lives. Yeah, and I, and I also think that when you're really absorbed in that moment and stuck in that moment, you just can't see... Yeah. A way out and you know in retrospect I feel that you know that period of limbo I think was the is the most difficult for me during this treatment because if I knew it was going to work then that's fine because you say okay this is going to be a tough year but we'll have a baby at the end yeah. or if you know it's not going to work then you say fine I'm going to find a different method of creating my family or maybe me and my husband are enough and you get on with it. It's that uncertainty which is difficult. Yes. Um, and I think it's you should try and remind yourself that eventually even this will become the past. <laughs> and in some way it's going to resolve. It might not resolve in your plan A, but it might be a plan B or a plan C. And then, and then you get on with life. Yeah. I think that's what actually wise people are telling us when they say enjoy the process. It doesn't matter. You don't know if it's going to turn up well or not. So you might as well enjoy the process because while you are kind of worrying if it's going to be well or not, so you are just missing out. So perhaps, you know, the great wisdom is whatever is going on, just enjoy the process. Yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> We all are. We are trying to learn that, you know, and uh, yeah. So I think uh, yes, that that that's you know, you know, throughout my interview and things that this is what, you know, one of the great lessons and throughout life, what of the great lesson is that let's try enjoy, just enjoy the process, because we don't know, we don't know, nobody else can tell you. So we might as well enjoy the process. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, you know, that's the toughest thing. So perhaps that is where we should practicing actually <laughs> so tell me um so what actually was a decisive moment that actually in your life things turn out for the best in your life outside the IVF treatment that you mm -hmm. had obviously which is one of I don't know if it's the biggest moment but is there anything else that you had in your life that really turned out for the better I, I think um an interesting one was would be when we made the decision that I was going to move to the UK and you know I had a wonderful education in India and my parents were really keen for this idea that because they had lived and studied abroad they wanted that for their children as well and they it, it was in some ways it was their decisive moment I think that <laughs> they said you know, we want you to go to university abroad. And then they realized actually to get into really good universities, it might be good to have A-levels from the UK to help with that process. And honestly, it was a decision that was taken. And then within a few months, I was here. So I kind of just went with the flow. I didn't really know what to expect because, you know, I, I left 16, you know, my parents when I was 16. And I lived with some relatives in London. And, and I just, some, somehow, when I think back on it, I just kind of went with this, this tide, with this wave almost. Um, and I'm so pleased that we did that because it just gave me a much broader outlook. It's exposed me to so many opportunities. It's allowed me to travel the world and, you know, create this life for myself. So I, I think that would be an example. Yeah, cool. So what would you say is your superpower? <laughs> I was trying to think about this. So um, I think my current existing superpower is being organized. <laughs> so, 
camping you can imagine yeah <laughs> i'm kind of balancing two careers in a sense balancing my my work and then my media engagement and writing and, and podcast and all of this kind of stuff requires a lot of organization so i i would say that would be my kind of current superpower but if i wanted an aspiring superpower then i would want um to be like magneto from x men who can control metal so i would like to be able to use that kind of a power to basically just build structures out of steel really quickly so that would be fun <laughs> that's great so let's talk about money now so how do you manage um you know to do both what you love and get paid well for it i ask this question usually to people because you know some people are really passionate about what they're doing but you know don't get paid well or other people are actually you know getting paid a lot of money but really don't like what they are doing so how do we do both <laughs> um that really difficult question <laughs> um or from your own um, perspective from yeah. your own experience i, I think for, on a very practical note careers that involve maths and science are generally well paid skill that pays at least and then uh, you can take some other time to do uh, uh, your passion or love project that perhaps are not uh, getting paid that much okay now let's talk about building a movement so um so which movement are you building or would like to lead <laughs> <laughs> i think um my aspiration is to excite people about science and engineering um so just like I like reading books, but I didn't study English at university, but that doesn't mean I can't be interested in it. I want to encourage people to enjoy maths and science even if that's not their job or their primary interest. So it, they don't have to study it or anything, but I think having that excitement about science is you know, and engineering is is something that I would really love to expand. Mhm. Yeah. And how do you want to be remembered for? Um <laughs> I think I would like to be remembered for having made some sort of impact on on this movement I guess so I want to have an impact on people's perception of science and engineering and I would also like to have an impact on the diversity in the engineering and construction industries and hopefully that's something people will remember me for Cool. So, so now some very quick question and quick answer. So I'm going to fire some questions and then you're going to give me very short yes, answers. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Do you want yes, to think let's do it. before? Oh, that's fine. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So what did you learn from all your experiences that you most want to transmit to others? So I would say create a support network and don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. What's one object 
will you take with you on a desert island and why? I would take uh, my toolbox and that's practical reasons so that I can find food and make some shelter. <laughs> okay. Um, so what do you regret having or not having done earlier in your life? So I, I can't think of something earlier in my life, but something I regret at the moment is that I haven't been dancing for a long time, for about nearly 10 years now. And that was something that used to give me a lot of, of joy and, and mental space. Cool. Which kind of dance? I used to do Indian classical dancing and I do ballroom and Latin. So any type of dancing. Oh, wow. Cool. So perhaps I need to start after, again. after the baby, you're yeah. the, you know, stage again. <laughs> okay. So what is your definition of meaningful work, meaningful life? So I think I'm still trying to figure that out, but I'm going to use that word balance again. Hmm. And also the realization that you don't have to achieve everything here and now because yeah. hopefully life is long and you can have that opportunity not today then in in a year or five years yeah that is very wise <laughs> not all at the same time <laughs> any last piece of guidance that i haven't asked you and do you like to pass on to our listeners to live a meaningful life so i would say that there are a lot of stereotypes that exist in our society that girls should behave one way and boys should behave another way or the type of toys you play with or the colors you wear or what engineers look like. And I would just encourage people to break free of any of these stereotypes that you think would, might be holding you back in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good, actually. So now, can you share some resources that listeners should absolutely know about to do more meaningful work and live a meaningful life? So one specific thing I can think of is, and I think it's called the Healthy Brain Platter. And this talks about different things that you should be doing, maybe not every day, but within a week to keep your brain healthy. That's a mixture of work, intellectual stimulation, you know, thinking time, but also exercise, meditation, good food, and so on. And I think what it does, so you, you can kind of download a chart off the internet. Okay. And the idea is you try and consciously think, have I done at least four or five of these things today? Or have I done all of them within this week? And I think that just it forces you to reflect. And I think that was quite a nice tool that I, I had come across. Yeah. How is it called again? The Healthy Brain Platter. Okay. Is it a book or is it like a downloadable or what it's is like it? It's like a PDF that I found online somewhere and someone had recommended it to me. So, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, find that and I'll put that in the show notes as well. And then you also, how can people reach you and learn more about what you do and your work? You mentioned also about the book Built. How, yeah. how did you call that? Built? Is it Built? Yeah. Yeah, Built. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, so how can people reach you and learn more about what you do? Sure. So there's a few different ways. Um, you can read my book, which um, is called Built, The Hidden Stories Behind Our Structures. And that's available in bookshops and on Amazon or on Hive, whatever you prefer. Uh, I've got my website, my Twitter and my Instagram, and they're all Roma the Engineer. So you can remember Bob the Builder, but it's Roma the Engineer. <laughs> and... Finally, I would love if you can download and listen to my podcast. So I've done three episodes at the moment as a pilot. And obviously now I'm off to have a baby and I need funding. So if anyone's interested in commissioning or funding, please let me know. But the podcast is called Building Stories. Okay. And the website is buildingstoriespodcast.com. But you okay. can get it on, on Apple and either kind of the usual places. Yeah, I'll add all those uh, resources in the show notes. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'll thank you very much, uh, Roma, for this fantastic conversation. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show today. Yes, I've loved speaking to you. And I think you've asked me some really challenging questions, which <laughs> I've enjoyed thinking about. So thank you very much for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> so what was your key takeaway from this episode? What are you committed to do today to find more meaning in your work and live a more meaningful life? If you'd like to clarify your goals and achieve them faster, there are three ways to do that. One, get my book, 
personal branding in the digital age, how to become a known expert, thrive and make a difference in the connected world, available on Amazon, iTunes, Audible, as ebook, audiobook, paperbook. Second is to work one-on-one with me to clarify your objectives and achieve them faster. For that, you need to book a call at francinebelly.com slash call. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash call. And there is a third way, which is a time-limited offer. If you are struggling to find why your message doesn't get the engagement you expect from your audience or your customers whilst your competition seems to do very well, apply for a complimentary assessment of your website. I will personally review that and show you what is confusing your prospect and the easy steps you take you can take to clarify your message. This is a time-limited offer. Go to francinebelly.com slash review. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash review to submit your website. So the show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelly.com slash podcast, with all the references and resources shared on the show. Whilst you are there... Leave a message in the comment section to let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but this will mean a lot to me and help me also spread this message for many people. Thank you for listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. They show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I will see you next week for another brand new epic episode of this season three. Until then, dream, act and make an impact. Lots of love.